Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Good morning. Hey, welcome. Welcome, gang. Glad you guys are here. Yeah, it's great to see everybody. Welcome. We're glad you guys are joining us on this weekend. Uh, we are going to get after it this morning in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. If you want to turn there with me to verse 27, uh, where we will be uh, looking at one of the commands that Jesus uh, contrasted what the Pharisees and scribes interpreted as really how they were going to live out the commands of God, and then Jesus sharing really the intent behind each command, exactly what God intended. Next Sunday, we're going to tackle the subject or the command about regarding divorce, and so we're going to talk next Sunday about singleness and the blessedness of being single uh, and, uh, and, and all that God does in our lives and wants to do in our lives while we are in that single state. We're going to talk about marriage. We're also going to talk about how to divorce-proof your marriage and your future marriage if that is a desire of yours to get married one day. So if you know somebody that can um, benefit from that, make sure you invite them out to join us. That's what we'll be dealing with next Sunday. This morning, though, we're talking about the second command that Jesus brings up, and it is the command about adultery. Uh, we can look at this passage and sort of the takeaways. Uh, we could take away one of the great statements that the great preacher John, Jonathan Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing us. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, uh, the greatest sermon, by the way, where Jesus taught his disciples about life and his kingdom. And what we've been reading about in this, in this Sermon on the Mount is that really it's an upside down kingdom. So different than the kingdoms of this world, certainly our American culture, the kinds of things that we are to have a, be a part of our lives, the kinds of ways that we're supposed to live. In fact, someone has said that the Sermon on the Mount really is, is uh, this, this concept as if this is how we're supposed to live if we regard Jesus as our true king. So after Jesus described to the Pharisees and scribes and the disciples, saying to them, he's not come to uh, do away or destroy the law, but he came to fulfill the law. Then he begins to tackle six different commands uh, as examples of the way the scribes and Pharisees interpreted them to make themselves look good, and then here's what God actually uh, meant. Last week we talked about the command, thou shall not murder. But Jesus said the real issue is anger and the hate within. And we talked about last Sunday that, that idea that we see in this Jesus unpacking thou shalt not murder is that he is concerned or as concerned about the inner attitudes of our hearts as much as the actions that we have on the outside, actually murdering somebody. God's concerned about hate within us and, and anger within us. And so he asks us to do hard things to be right with people. Again, the law, by the way, and the Sermon on the Mount, it condemns us as sinners. This morning, you and I are going to realize just how deep our sin really runs in our lives. Uh, and it's going to point us to a Savior, the fact that we need Jesus in our life. But then from that command and from his interpretation and the application of it, principles, if you would, uh, it, he sends us on our way like, this is how I want you to live out life in the kingdom. Last week it was, don't have an, an angry, hateful heart, but go learn how to be right with people. We say we would extend forgiveness and we would be willing to receive forgiveness. We'd be right with people. And this week we again tackle a very difficult subject. Uh, citizens of the kingdom, we learn, began to change from the inside out, not from the outside in, trying to keep commands, but Jesus changes our hearts by the power of his Holy Spirit. So he moves on to another command. 
And, and we have this, these phrases, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Verse 27, Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. We got new pins at RBC because they're a little stronger if you want to gouge your eye out. No, I'm just kidding. We'll talk about that, what that means in just, a, in just a moment. You know, adultery, it's a serious offense in God's eyes. It is a sin that certainly uh, has major ramifications in our world and in a person's life, in a family's life. Exodus 20, uh, verse 14, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shall not commit adultery. Adultery destroys a life. This is one that we can all see the damage in our own society. In fact, some of our lives have been affected in a negative way because of somebody breaking that command. It could have been a parent of ours. It could have been one of us. It could have been a spouse of ours. But certainly a family gets uh, broken up or torn up because of the sin, and it scars a home, and it damages lives. In fact, Proverbs chapter 6 tells us in verse 32 and 33, the man who commits adultery is an utter fool. For he destroys himself. He will be wounded and disgraced. His shame will never be erased. Uh, Adultery is a sin that violates another person and it destroys the marriage covenant. And we know that marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman that is the great picture of this glorious relationship that the church has with Jesus, our Savior, our groom. We are the bride of Christ, the Bible calls us. Through God's grace, I've seen numerous relationships restored. I've seen marriages that have grown back together, and healing has happened, and reconciliation has happened, but it is certainly tough on both parties to accomplish such a task. What we read about, you know, about adultery is that, is that again, it is that, that breaking of that covenant, and you think about the gift of sex inside of a marriage. Sex is a wonderful gift of God. I'll say it again. Sex is a wonderful gift of God for those who are married to express their love, devotion, and experience mutual pleasure with each other. God does not regulate sex because he wants to rob us of some pleasurable experience, but he does it to bless us because that's the relationship where it can be expressed in all its freedom and without any kind of shame or anything involved like that. That's why adultery is so destructive. It leaves in its wake brokenness and much sorrow and shame. Well, so the religious leaders, when Jesus said, by the way, it has been said, he's not saying that Moses said this in the Ten Commands, or God, you've heard it said, God has said this. He was referring to the way the the Pharisees and the scribes taught those laws. These folks here, the disciples, after the Babylonian captivity, they didn't speak Hebrew or read Hebrew. They spoke Aramaic, and they read Aramaic and Greek oftentimes. It was the religious elite that actually had the scriptures and could read them, and so they would read them in a way to interpret them in a way that made them look good. So Jesus says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit the physical act of adultery. Although that is part of the command, Jesus says, 
But I say unto you, and we read what he said and the, the correct definition. The intent behind the law of do not commit adultery was to not have a heart that is filled with lust that would lead to the act of committing adultery. And the Pharisees and scribes said, oh, yikes, you might have got us there, Jesus. You see, that's the spirit of the law. It deals with the heart, just like thou shalt not murder. Many people sit in churches today saying, you know what, I feel like I'm a good person right now. Well, why is that? Well, because I didn't murder that guy yesterday. I didn't take his life because he made me so angry. Uh, and you're like, well, good for you. I'm glad that you didn't do that. We're glad that you could join us here this morning instead of sitting in a jail somewhere. However, the sin of anger in our hearts as it sits there and resides there and it smolders there is as offensive to God as even committing the act of murder. Well, now here we see this, this next law he un, un, unpacks and tackles. Committing adultery, to have a desirous heart for another human being in a sexual way, he said, is as if you've committed adultery in your heart. It's connected to the 10th command, thou shall not covet. And then he went on to explain, covet your neighbor's wife or covet your neighbor's stuff. To have desires within our hearts that become destructive is what he's actually referring to. Whoever looks upon a woman to lust for her. By the way, this is not a casual glance, but a consistent stare with the purpose of lusting. Uh, this is not noticing a beautiful person, but the intent is feeding a sexual appetite. And there we realize that our sinful deeds begin with sinful desires. That's the core issue, by the way. When Jesus shares this sermon with his disciples and gives us sort of this, this way of life for kingdom citizens, he's wanting to go past the outer shell of our lives, the commands that we keep, don't murder, don't commit adultery. If you get divorced, do it this way. It is getting at the heart of the issue. Jesus is wanting to transform our hearts so that we become different people, the way we live out life as we seek to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. We realize that sin begins at that heart level and that you and I are more corrupt than we give ourselves credit for. We are so corrupt and it is so deep in our lives. In fact, in this passage, I want us to, to think about a few different things. Number one is this. As Jesus interprets these commands, I want you to understand just how sinful we truly are. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I had to say that backstage to get it right because it's almost like saying toy boat ten times. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones. There we go. See, I screwed it up again. He actually wrote a, a, a book about the Sermon on the Mount, and, and this particular section of Scripture, he titled that chapter, The Exceeding Sinfulness of Sin. It's an important concept for you and I to understand just how corrupt we are at the heart level. That sin is not just external to us, acts that we commit, it is within us. In fact, it's within our own nature. And that's why we need a Savior. Jesus himself said in Matthew 15, For from the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. That covers everybody in this room. 1 John says, If we say that we have no sin, we are liars and the truth is not in us. We are worse than we thought. We are murderous at our heart level. We are uh, adulterers at the heart level. You're sitting right next to a, a group of murderers and adulterers. So say hello, nice to meet you. And by the way, you're at the right church. <laughs> so I'm glad you found your way to RBC. That sin, it begins there at the heart level. 
James chapter 1 says, temptation comes from our own desires. Notice that. It's within us, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. It begins in the heart. And when, we, when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. God wants to rid your life and my life of sin. That not only he paid for it, my sin when he died on the cross, the penalty of my sin that it deserved, but he also paid to set me free from the power of sin. Now, why would God want you and I to sin no more? What, by the way, you'll never be sinless, but a Christian, a citizen of the kingdom, will begin to sin less in their life. You'll never be sinless, but you will sin less, and your life will become better because you're learning how to obey God and his commands as opposed to giving into them. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. And by the way, we should also say that to be tempted is not the same as, in fact, it's not sin. Jesus himself was tempted at every point in the same way other human beings are tempted. And yet he was found without sin. And that's why he's able to help us even in our struggles with the flesh. You cannot stop a thought from flying in your head. Have you ever been in worship time and you just have a thought and you just go like, I'm so glad my thoughts don't show up on the screen. Like there's a little glitch in the back and all of a sudden your thought shows up and everyone's like turns around like, whoa, what's going on over there? You know, you can't stop those kinds of thoughts from flying in your head any more than you can stop birds from flying over your head. But what you can do is you can stop a thought from nesting in your heart just like you have the power to stop a bird from setting up a nest in your hair. It's kind of like, you know what? Like go somewhere else. There's not that much up there. Move on. Move on to somewhere else. Temptation is not the same as sin. I think that we understand the damage of adultery as we've seen in our own world. Many respectable men and women never dreamed of falling into this sin. I've never met anyone or prayed with anybody that had committed the act of adultery that ever, you know, saw that happening in their life. It's subtle. It happens. And sin is certainly deceitful and our hearts are deceitful. And that's why we've got to be cautious. But it begins with having a heart that is left unchecked. The damage still also of not just the act of adultery, but there's damage that is done with allowing a lust-filled heart to remain within us, desirous for things that become destructive to us. I think that's the heart of the issue is to say the Lord wants to free us from this sinful you know, state that we, that we dwell in. I remember... Um, I was working as a pastor in Laguna Beach, and there was a trainer at this gym I was working at, and he just got married, and uh, he noticed this beautiful woman walking across the street, and they had just gigantic bay windows, and so there he was ignoring his client that he was supposed to be training, and he just looking at this girl walking by, and I went, I'm like, dude, you're married, just got married, like, you need to knock that off, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, it doesn't matter where you get your appetite so long as you go home for dinner, and I had to think about that, and I thought, like, oh, I hope one day your wife listens to a sermon that I'm going to preach, because I'm going to quote you on that. <laughs> because you might go home, and the doors have been changed, the locks have been changed, and all your stuff's on the front porch. I shouldn't have said that. I said, like, it's a bad, crass thing. I, I think you get it, though, right? Left unconfessed. If it's allowed to stay, those thoughts, those desires, that it will bring a bondage in your life that will be so destructive. You know, the porn industry understands this. It captures millions and millions and millions of people, teenagers, 
old people, men and women. There's a, a website called Fight the New Drug. I think it's fightthenewdrug.org, and they have a campaign and shirts that they sell saying, Porn Kills Love, and it's so accurate and true. There's many helpful things and information about it, but if it's allowed to go unchecked in our lives, it will lead to greater bondage and greater amounts of destruction and to actions. You think about the gift of your imagination and your thought life. I mean, what a wonderful gift, the things that you and I, the, the incredible artists that, that are around us today that we get to see beautiful things that they create, whether it be songs or it might be paintings or it might be, you know, other forms of art. And you just go, man, gosh, the imagination's incredible. And, and yet when the imagination, or, or, or as one pastor said, when the eye sees dirt, that's when those imaginations become dirty. When it is fed dirt by the eye, your imagination and your thoughts will be dirty. In fact, all sin, including sexual sin, it begins with the imagination. That's why it's important and vital that you and I guard what we allow to come into our minds and what our hearts dwell upon on a consistent and daily basis. It's important that you and I would renew our minds with God's word. This is why we have Bibles all over this building this morning, so that you can grab a copy of God's word and you can be in God's word consistently on a daily basis because it will renew your mind and give you the right thoughts that you and I should be thinking. Now, when Jesus said, it's as if you've committed adultery in your heart. He's not saying it's the same as adultery. There are certainly different consequences for those sins. It's just mutually sinful before God, letting the disciples and the scribes and Pharisees in our world know all of us have broken God's commands. People would say, well, I've already committed adultery in my heart. I might as well go through with the act. Well, it will destroy a lot in your life. Even as Solomon said in Proverbs 6, you're an utter fool if you think that you can get away with that without it bringing destruction. Now, the principle goes far beyond lust for another human. This would allow for any desires that would come in through the eye gates in the heart. Covetousness would certainly be one of them. You might look around and go like, well, you know, th these people, they struggle with, you know, lusting after, you know, uh, the human body, and gee, they're so filthy. A and yet we've got catalogs of other kinds of porn in our homes, pottery porn, is in our homes. It was like, oh my gosh, I want a $15,000 couch too. Oh, why can't we buy like the Joneses? They got the, well, because they got a credit card and they put it on there, okay? And so they'll have to deal with that later. Think about all the things that you and I covet in this life. The problem is it sneaks in. It, it begins to take over our heart and our life and it separates us from that close fellowship, which is really what the issue is with Jesus Christ and it brings destruction there. Like the law is intended to do when we truly see it, the Sermon on the Mount lets us know that we are guilty. That's why I bring up this point and labor at it for such a long time, is that we see just how sinful we truly are. It's done its job. We need a better righteousness than trying to live out the law by, by our works. We need a righteousness that comes by faith that we find with Jesus. We in turn become like the man who is in Luke chapter 18 who went in the temple at the same time as a Pharisee. And the man who is a sinner, he knelt down on his knees, he didn't even look up into the air, and he began to beat his chest saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Rather than the guy across the room who looked at that man and he said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men. He says, extortioners, 
adulterers, and then he even points out the guy in church and says, and like this tax collector, this sinner. And then he begins to tell God how lucky God is that he's had him. You're so lucky, God, that I'm in your kingdom. I mean, I could be a lot worse off. The problem is, is that you are worse if you think that you are not as sinful as even the grossest, heinous sinner in this world. And if you don't see your sin, then you are in trouble. You see, when we truly see our sin, that's when we can actually recognize our need for a Savior. This is something else I want to unpack here. Because when I look at this and I go, I go to church with murderers, adulterers, extortioners, swindlers. We're, we are bad at the core. Well, then it makes the cross look even more amazing, doesn't it? The second thing I want you to learn from this is that we see how loved we are. Of course, we can recognize as you unpack God's word how sinful we are, but now you see how loved we are. You know, we truly understand how sinful we are as people, the depth of our sin. That's when we actually can understand the height of God's love. That Jesus didn't come along to just give us a boost. Hey, you guys are doing well. You guys are religious enough. You just need a little booster shot. You know what I mean? Come in for your flu shot. It's going to be a tough winter. No, you are dead spiritually. You needed a resurrection. And when you see how sinful you are, that's when you and I can can sing a song, oh, what a Savior we have. Isn't he wonderful? And we sing hallelujah because we recognize that God would come for a man like me, a woman like you, or a man like you too. It was for murderers, adulterers, liars, cheaters, sinners that Christ came, and for us. Romans 5.8 says, but God showed his great Love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You know what I love about Romans 5.8? Is there's not anyone in this room that was born before that passage was written. Before you had a chance to show up in church and sing about God's amazing reckless love for you. Before you had a chance to write a check or go online to make a donation as a tithe or offering so that God's work can continue. Before we get a chance to sign up to serve in our kids' ministry or be an usher or be a greeter or do anything good in this world, Christ had already paid for your sins. That's how much he loves you. And that he would willingly go to the cross to pay the price, and that's, by the way, what my sin caused. When you and I see a perfect Savior hanging naked and bleeding and giving up his life, and Almighty God pouring out all his wrath upon that perfect Savior, his Son, you and I need to understand, oh, sin is bad and destructive, and it caused that 2,000 years ago. But that displays this incredible love that God has for us. And because he loves us, by the way, he willingly paid for our sins... But he also came through his death on the cross to free us from sin. And see, that's what Jesus is getting at. He's saying, guys, I, I not only don't want you to wreck your marriage by committing adultery, I also don't want you to wreck your hearts by allowing lust to stay in there and thus destroy you and your soul and all that God would want to do in your life. He came to set us free. And we see the intent of the law. It says, guys, you need a savior. But then it directs us to life in the kingdom and says, I want you to live free 
as a citizen of my kingdom. To have a heart that is free from lust and covetousness and envy as well as hate. What a savior to take away my sin. And not just the penalty of my sin, but the power of it, where it no longer has to master our lives. We also learn from this passage that yes, we are utterly sinful. We are dearly loved by God. But the takeaway, the principles remain. We learn how ruthless we must be with sin. How do we get victory over sin? By purifying the desires of our heart and being disciplined with what we allow in our lives and what we are willing to sacrifice and cut out of our lives. Now that's a a remarkable little section of Scripture, isn't it? If your right eye causes you to sin, have you ever just like somebody starts pointing towards your eye? You know, you ever irritating like sibling like I had? One of my brothers, he just would like point at me in the car. I'm like, do we hit a bump? You poke my eye out. I'm going to be really mad at you. And, uh, and you know what I mean? Like, or something's about to come towards you and you blink, you know what I mean? And uh, it's like, your eye, you protect your eye. You go outside, you put some sunglasses on. Sometimes I like to wear my sunglasses at night. Something gets thrown at you, you close your eyes, you protect your eyes. Can you imagine hearing that for the first time? If your right eye causes you to sin, take a fork out of your pocket, keep your eyelids open, and stab it right in the middle. And then twist it, give it a good hard twist, because you need to pluck it out of your eye. You ever see the movie The Birds? You know what I mean? Like, or like a vulture, just, you know what I mean? It's like... Like pop it right out. I, I don't even know what it sounds like to have the eye pop out, but I would imagine it's a loud enough pop that you and I could hear it, and you'll never forget it. It's like, oh, I've heard that before. That guy's struggling with lust. I've heard that noise. Your hand causes you to sin. Thieves that steal pickpockets. They go through, you know, uh, we're going to have a good time at the, you know, Clovis Rodeo, and there's somebody there going like, ooh, there's a wallet. I can go and take that from them. Like, you know what? You cut that hand off. You got a left hand. Cut them both off. You ever see people play the guitar with their feet and their toes? Peel a banana? Look, if your heart is so bent on stealing, if your heart is so bent on lusting, poke out all of your eyes, and you will still have a mind it has eyes. So what is Jesus saying? We, this would be the most bloodied up church in the history of the world. <laughs> we will roll like a bloody stump into the kingdom of God, every limb chopped from us. So what does Jesus mean? Here's what he means. The soul is so important. Gang, your soul is so important. It's the most valuable, precious thing that you own. It is more precious than anything that you have. And it is so important that you and I should be willing to part with dear things like our eyes and our hands to protect it. Entrance to the kingdom of heaven, it should be the most important thing in our future and in our lives. The primary emphasis of my life ought to be the kingdom of God. Jesus is going to tell us in chapter 6 that you and I are to seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? This morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, that's your verse. 
You're seeking to gain everything in this life, but you will lose your soul in the end. There's nothing more important. Gain the entire world. Gain it all. And you still die. And you'll spend eternity separated from God in hell because you chased after what this world offers rather than the eternal life that God freely gives to those who call upon him. Here we see these extreme measures for Christians that we must take to root out sin from our hearts. As I quoted John Owens earlier, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. You know, the New Testament is filled with instructions about how to deal with our flesh life. In fact, I'm going to read some verses. They'll be on the screen. Jot these down. Take these notes home and, and, and find it in your Bible if you can't turn there now and underline these sections. They're very important scriptures for our walk with Jesus and dealing with our flesh. Paul says in Romans 13, this is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is almost over. He's making a reference to the fact that Jesus is going to return. We are one day closer to his return. We are one day closer to your death. Congratulations. Today than we were yesterday. That's why Paul is saying, wake up. Wake up. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkest darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity or in immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Another version says, and give, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Colossians 3.5 says, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. In Romans 6, Paul says, you should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to its sinful desires. That's a verse I'm going to encourage you to memorize with me this week. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Put to death, Paul says. Make no provision for the flesh, Paul says. And do not let sin control you any longer, Paul says. Jesus says, Chop off the hand that causes you to stumble. Jesus says, poke out the eye that causes you to stumble. Sin doesn't have power over us anymore. It doesn't control us as it used to before we found Jesus. It's a choice, but you and I have to be willing to say, I value Jesus and my heart's health more than giving in to those sinful pleasures. It's a choice. I'm going to close with some practical steps that I think you and I could see from this passage that we should live out. should be on the screen before me today. Number one, cut out every source of temptation from your life. Every source of temptation. You think about that. Is there a relationship that needs to be cut off? I can't, I'm as serious as a heart attack right now. I'm not going to have one. But I am dead serious. If you have a relationship 
that you are, are in right now where there's some texting going on that has nothing to do with work or any reason why you should have any kind of connection with that person that you're not married to, you need to cut that relationship off. Is it okay if we can get some seriousness? Is that a word, some seriousness going on here today? That is a warning from the Holy Spirit. God does not waste his warnings. Cut off every source of temptation. Is there a source of temptation that is in your life? You know, some people make the decision that they don't need access to internet on their mobile device. So you call AT&T up and you say, hey, your, 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 your area coverage is horrible, number one. But number two, I'm not going to have access to the internet on my device. Why? Because it's a source of struggle for me. You get serious like that. Remember hearing one pastor, this young man kept calling him and saying, man, I'm really struggling with, you know, with well, what's going on. Well, I'm just watching, you know, bad stuff on the channel. And, and he called him up one night again and said, oh, I'm just really, you know, struggling, but I'm doing my best. And he says, you know what? You're not. I want you to go in your garage. I want, to get, I want you to get some bolt cutters right now. And I want you to go behind that TV, and I want you to cut that cable in half. You get serious about the stuff that God is asking you and I to remove from our lives. That's a lot easier, by the way, than hearing the noise of your eye popping out. You cut off some, some of those relationships. You get accountable with a believer. This ought to be the freest place in the world. You, you ought to be able to have the most honest, heartfelt conversation with a Christian who has your back in, in this world. It's sad to me that, that, that meetings like AA, which are great meetings, they have more honesty there where there's people who are non-Christians because they don't feel like they can trust any Christians. Listen, be trustworthy. If someone says, can I meet with you? Can I talk to you? I've got some struggles in my life. Can you be trustworthy with them without saying, like, guys, I'm glad you're all here. There's some things that we need to be praying for, brother so-and-so. Here's what's going on. I know. Gee, it's overwhelming, isn't it? Man, zip your lip and just have accountability with somebody. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee youthful lusts. Flee youthful lusts. And by the way, it doesn't matter how old you get, they still remain. Flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, it says, along with all who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You and I are supposed to be around Christians who are going to strengthen us. You and I are supposed to be around Christians who say, hey, I see a relationship that's brewing between you and that person at your work, and you know what? I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's honoring. I think it dishonors your spouse. I think you need to cut it off. We should be able to have those kinds of conversations with people. I'm sorry, with one another, not people going up to random people, hey, guess what? I followed you home yesterday. I don't like what I see on your TV. Here's the RVC sticker. No, don't do that. Here's a Clovis Hill sticker. No, I'm just kidding. Sean's my buddy. Are you ever tempted to tell someone you go to a different church because you're just like, oh, I don't want to think bad because I just did something really bad? I say, oh, I tell everybody, like, yeah, I'm Brad Bell. I know, I know. I, I, know. I look different. I look different on stage, but yeah. That's not true. Brad's my buddy, too. I'm going to throw everybody under the bus this morning before the sermon's over. Uh, memorize God's word. David said in Psalm 119, verse 11, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know what's so good is to tuck God's word away in your heart. Do you, do you memorize God's word? Do you spend time reading God's word? You know, our kids get like stickers and suckers and uh, who knows, iPads. 
for memorizing God's Word. You never outgrow the need to store away God's Word in your heart. So you spend time reading God's Word. In fact, I want to encourage you to do that with me. You jot that down on the connection card. You put a stake in the ground this morning and say, this week I'm going to commit to memorizing some of God's Word. Put it in the box so that we can be praying together for you as you make that kind of commitment. Memorize God's Word. Here's another one. Rely on the power of the Spirit to bring change. You know, have you ever just thought to yourself, I'm going to try harder this week? Man, you're like, man, I, I stink at that. I'm not good at that. Paul says in Romans 8, by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body. You and I need to call upon the power of God's Spirit. God, I can't change me. I can't change this part of my heart, but I need your Holy Spirit to not only give me wisdom to make right decisions, but power to follow through with those decisions, and God will give you that power. Rely on God's grace. Can I encourage you? You're going to fail. That was so encouraging, wasn't it? You're going to fall. Because by the time you start unpacking areas of your life God's Spirit brings up, you're going to keep moving forward going like, oh, wow, it's worse. It gets worse. And God's Spirit is going to be there to give you grace. 1 John 1, 9, the Christian bar of soap, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Here's the last one. Make pursuing Jesus your highest goal every single day. You know, perhaps another way to freedom is more than just hunting down sinful thoughts and cutting out stumbling blocks uh, from our life is to be, learn to become satisfied in Jesus, walking with God, spending time with Him. Your walk, your soul is the most precious thing that you own, I said earlier. Your relationship with Jesus is the greatest gift that you could ever be given in this life. And you'll find, as I find that as I'm walking closely with the Lord, it becomes easier to reject temptation. It also gives me the ability to become quicker to respond to the Lord saying, God, I want you to forgive me for that action, for that thought, for those er things that I've been allowing to meander within my own life. You're quicker to return when you stumble. That takes actions. His word's got to be a priority. Spending time in prayer daily. You don't need to spend an hour and a half a day, but what if you set aside five minutes a day to ask the Lord to give you strength? What if you set aside five minutes a day to just read some of God's word, a portion of God's word, some systematic approach to reading the scriptures? I promise you, day by day, your life, your spiritual journey will become stronger and stronger and stronger. You and I living a life removing things that hinder us from that walk and make that a priority. By the way, this morning we've got uh, the opportunity for you to receive prayer. You know, these folks over here on our side, they're not like the, the varsity Christians in this room. Like, they've arrived, they get to pray. No, they are as sinful as you and I. They had the same battles and struggles that you had this week. Uh, they're just brothers and sisters that are wanting to make a connection with you this morning and say, let me be praying. And if anyone gets up, please don't think that, oh, whoa, the good thing they went to pray, they're going to commit adultery this week. That's not the way we should be thinking right now. We should be thinking of, look, good for them. I can't believe they care so much about their spiritual life that they'll actually go and try to seal the deal this morning and receive prayer. Do you see what I did there? I made us all feel bad for not going and receiving prayer without telling you that you're bad because you don't go receive prayer. There ought to be a line of people after the service receiving prayer. On that connection card you have, you pull that out this morning, there's a spot for you to say, these are the things I want to see God do in my life. Would, could you be praying for me? And there's a next step for you to take, to memorize Romans chapter 6, verse 12 with us this week. Can I encourage you this week? Like, make that kind of a commitment. And write it down. I think it's important that you and I take steps where, where we are actually holding ourselves accountable and willing to let me see that you're actually moving towards that. I'm not going to come up next week with a sticker or a sucker for you and ask you to memorize the word, but your life will become richer because you do that this week. 
You maybe you're sitting here this morning. You know, our worship team's going to come, close us out in a song of worship. I'm going to encourage you to receive prayer as you sing and you worship God Almighty and you, you do some business with Him. But maybe this morning you're sitting here and, 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 you're, and you're realizing that you're, uh, maybe your flesh life's out of control this week. You know, the beautiful thing is that 1 John 1, 9, right where you're sitting this morning, God, would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me from my out-of-control thought life? God, would you give me wisdom and strength to not get back in that kind of a rhythm in my life? And God will give you that. He'll grant you that. Or maybe you're here this morning and, and you realize today that you don't know him. And, and, and hopefully you understand that you've broken two of God's commands already. That you've desired things in your heart that don't belong to you. And you've had hate in your heart or anger in your heart. And you've broken God's commands. One sin is enough to keep you out of heaven and to condemn any person to eternal hell. But Jesus came 2,000 years ago to make a way possible for you to avoid that eternal destiny. I said this earlier, the Sermon on the Mount, it condemns us all as sinners. The Bible confirms it. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, I quoted earlier. I left the last part out. Here it is. But the free gift of eternal life is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Jesus came to give you eternal life. He came to free you up from sin, to take away all of our sins. You need a Savior. You cannot save yourself. No amount of good or religious effort can cancel out your debt of sin that you owe to God. But today you can know God. Every service we have, we like to give at least one person an opportunity to turn their life around to commit their life to Jesus, have their sins forgiven, and have the hope of eternal life because they put their faith and their trust in Him. There's a lot of people praying right now, and maybe you've joined us, and today's that day where you need to surrender to Him. Would you, would you pray with me now? Would you all bow your heads, close your eyes with me now? Father, thank you today for your grace and your mercy, Lord. And God, this morning we are praying that you will strengthen all of our lives, God. We see how sinful we are, Lord. We already know that, God, but we thank you that your word confirms that it was for people like us that you came to die and we thank you for that Jesus God we see that as a, a reckless love God an undeserving love that you would leave the 99 those who didn't need a savior in order to reach down and save us God and we are so thankful for that today and Lord I even know now that you're reaching hearts God you're speaking to hearts of those who need you this morning there are some God who realize today that they can't earn their way to heaven that they can't cancel out their sin and that they too need a savior and being a Christian doesn't mean you start going to church. Being a Christian doesn't mean you become perfect. Being a Christian begins with surrendering your life to you, Jesus. Admitting to you that we are sinners. Asking you to come into our lives and make us your children. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you've joined us this morning and you want to say, Hey, Gordon, would you pray for me? Today I am ready to surrender my heart. I want my sins forgiven. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you this morning, I want you to lift your hand up high enough so I can see it, and I'm going to pray with you right where you're sitting. We're going to tell God together what you want him to do in your life. If that's you, God bless you. You can put your hand down. Anybody else? God bless you. Anybody else this morning? Today you want to surrender your heart to the Lord. You want your sins forgiven. You want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you take your last breath on this planet, you'll take your next in God's presence. If that's you, you lift your hand. Let's pray together as well. Anybody else in this closing moment? Man, he loves each of you. 
this morning. Each and every one of us he loves so much. Listen, for those that want Jesus in your life, I want you to pray something like this in your heart and ask Christ to come in. Would you pray with me now? Dear Lord Jesus, today, Lord, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. Lord, I believe that you died for my sins and that you rose from the dead. Lord, I trust you and I follow you as my Lord and Savior. Guide my life and help me to do your will. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, for those of you that just prayed that prayer, I want to just welcome those who, to God's kingdom. Every one of us got a connection card. Those of you just prayed that prayer with me, I want you to also add a next step. Today I prayed to receive Jesus. We got some information, some tools that we want to help you to grow as a Christian. Let's all stand this morning as we close out in a time of worship through singing. I want to encourage you to go to the sides and receive prayer if you need prayer today. God bless you guys. Let's worship.